God tonight. Happy to be here. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's just take a couple moments here and just worship the Lord. Time is filled with swift transition.
tonight. Everyone's here to worship. I love it. Oh, my God. 
give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen. Those are true words right there. Our God is tremendous. His strength never faileth. Amen. Love that. Brother Luis, why don't you come and open the service in order of prayer? We have a prayer request from uh, the Anselm family, for the Anselm's family. Uh, one of his daughter's friends, um, Sister Sarah, her friend, she fell from a 60-foot cliff. And she has a few shattered discs in the lower spine, serious injuries in her feet and ankles. Brother Emmanuel told me that her spirit is great, but uh, she lives in Victoria. Maybe we can just remember her in our, in our prayers tonight. Brother Luis, won't you come? If you have a need, let it be known by your uplifted hand, by your uplifted heart. Amen. Now let's pray tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come again before your throne tonight, Lord, with thanksgiving, Lord, with the victory in the, in the shout, shout of victory in the camp, Father, tonight, thanking you for all that you've done, Lord. Lord, truly, we appreciate everything, Lord, your blessings, your miracles, all that you've provided, Lord. We just want to give back to you an offering of praise tonight, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, we just pray you be with this... Uh, request that came in, came in tonight, Lord, with this sister. The broken bones, Lord, you're the healer of the broken bones. Father, you can restore everything that she needs, Lord. You're her comfort. Be her comfort in this time. Remember all the other needs, Lord, around the globe and your bride, Lord. We just pray you be with them in a special way. And tonight, Lord, we've come hungry, Lord, for your word. We pray you anoint your servant this evening, Lord, as we have prayed, as he has labored before you. May he speak to us, Lord. May you speak through him tonight, Lord. Oh, God, we just love you. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've done in our lives, Lord. Just so much, Father. We just don't know where to begin, oh, God. We commit the service now to you, the evening, everything that will be said and done, Lord. We love you from the bottom of our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Just an announcement, there'll be Young People's this Friday, this uh, Friday evening at the, at the uh, gym there. I think it's a gym night, Victor. It's a gym night, so just uh, if you have any questions, you can talk to Brother Victor, call Brother Victor, and we'll have the special right away. Good evening, everybody. Um, this song I did not write. But um, a few months ago, my family had gone through a pretty deep uh, trial in our family. And this song, I, I came across it, and the moment I heard it, it just brought me into an atmosphere of worship. Um, and I promised the Lord that I would sing this song to him. It's not something that I'm really used to. But I just want to thank the Lord that when we call upon his name, he answers. And he fights battles that we may not understand that that we know, God. The word says that when we call upon his name, he answers. He says, call upon me in the days of trouble and I will answer thee. And I just want to give the Lord all the thanks tonight. And I pray that you are blessed. It is, um, majority of the song is in Igbo, um, my native tongue. I can't speak it, but <laughs> I pray that you'll be blessed tonight.
special about hearing everybody worship in their own language. You know, the prophet says, when their bride is on display, be in their own national garb, their own national tongue will be singing praises to him. Amen. Let's just sing as Brother Jean comes to minister the word. Worship the Lord. I know we sing this song a lot, but the words have meaning. The words have power. The Bible says that the time has come and now is when true worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen. That's time is now. The time is tonight. If you have a need, have some expectation tonight that the Lord is going to meet that need. Put that before the Lord.
worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. What has he done for us? He's done so much. We're so thankful tonight, oh God. We're thankful you for your grace, Lord, for your mercy and your love, Lord Jesus. Oh God, we come in expecting, Lord, expecting a move of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Change us, oh God. Move us, Lord Jesus. We worship you in spirit and in truth, oh God, with all of our hearts and all of our lives, Lord Jesus. We lift up our voices, oh God. We lift up our hearts, Lord Jesus, and we worship you because you deserve all the worship, oh God. You deserve the praise, Lord. You deserve the glory, oh God. You deserve the sacrifice of our lives tonight, Father. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you, oh God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy name, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord. Worship the Father, Lord, we worship you indeed tonight, Lord. Lord, what a privileged people we are, Lord, and we can come and gather on the Wednesday night. And then your very word can come to pass in our midst, according to the scriptures, where two or three are gathering in my name, I'll be in their midst, Lord. We find it to be so tonight, Lord, as we sense your presence, Lord. Lord, we want to tell you we love you, Lord. Lord, I remember the words of a prophet, Lord, telling our pastor, when you pray and you feel his presence, Tell him, Brother Bill loves you. And I want to tell you now that you're in our midst, Lord. I love you, Lord. Lord, we love you, Father. You are the love of our soul, oh God. Lord, there's nothing in this world that we desire, Lord. There's nothing in this world that we love, oh God. You are the only thing that fills our soul, Lord. It's your word that fills our soul, Lord. So we've come tonight, Lord, to be fed. Lord, Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed, Lord. Lord, we come at thy table, Lord. We say, feed us, Lord Jesus. Break the bread of thy word. For your word is our life, Lord. For your word is our everything, Lord. For your love and kindness is better than life, Lord. We've come tonight, Lord, for you mean everything to us, Lord. And Lord, as worthy as we may feel, we know we mean everything to you. Blessed be thy holy name tonight, Lord. Have thy own way in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. Do you love him? You know, there's a song that says, have you told him lately that you love him? Oh, there's just something about telling him, Lord, I love you. You know, there's at Calvary, the sacrifice of Calvary is the greatest expression of love. But every now and then when we sense his presence, tell him, tell him how much you love him. I certainly do love him tonight. Amen. Let's open our Bibles, turn to the book of John. John chapter 4. Beginning from verse 1. 
When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And verse 3, verse 4 rather, sorry. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word, Lord. Lord, we are indeed a needy people. And one word from you, Lord, will make a whole difference, Lord. Lord, a sentence from you, Lord, will change our lives, Lord. Lord, sometimes even the question, Lord, as Jesus spoke to that woman once and said, where are thy accusers? And then he, then he said, I also do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lord, anything that comes from you is what our soul needs tonight, Lord. We pray that you anoint your word, Lord. Some might receive one word, some a sentence, some a paragraph, whatever it may be, Lord. As long as you are the one who speaks, it is good enough for us, Lord. Take thy unprofitable servant, Lord, tonight out of the way that you may speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to begin by reading a, a quote here from Christ the Mystery of God Revealed. Brabham saying in paragraph 233, he says, Look, Christ in you makes him the center of life of the revelation. See? Christ's life in you makes him the center of the revelation. And Christ in the Bible makes the Bible the complete revelation of Christ. And Christ in you makes you the complete revelation of the whole thing, what God is trying to do. So every single scripture is about Christ. Every single story that we read in the Bible talks about Christ. And if a scripture talks about Christ, then it's talking about you. Because Christ in the Bible makes him the center of the revelation, but Christ in you makes, makes you the revelation, the center of the revelation. And Christ in the Bible makes the Bible the complete revelation of everything. So every single type, as, as we'll read a quote later on in the service, every type and shadow in the Bible talks about Christ. Every type and shadow talks about you. In the Old Testament, Abraham, Christ, Abraham and Sarah, Christ and the bride. Jacob and Rachel, Christ and the bride, right? Joseph and the Egyptian woman, Christ and the bride. Every single type and shadow, Christ and the bride. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Below, I show you a mystery. He's speaking of Christ and the bride. So in our story here, we're going to focus here on John chapter 4, which is a very familiar story in the scriptures. But really, he's talking about Christ and the bride. We know the story as the story of the woman at the well. Now, this woman was a Samaritan. And we know that Rabbi talks about the three races of people. He talks about the Jew, the Gentiles, and the Samaritan. And there was enmity between the Samaritan and the Jews. So actually, the Jews would rather take the longer road and avoid the entire country of Samaria to avoid the Samaritans because they didn't want to have any encounter with them. And in some cases, they even felt that coming in contact with the Samaritan 
will make them unclean. And then, so Jesus here is breaking the norms here. He's going through Samaria. You know, even though there's enmity between them, because according to history, you know, the Samaritans were part of the northern kingdom of Israel. When Israel was divided into two, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And then they intermarried with Assyrians. So they're not pure Jews. They're, according to the Jews, they're half-breeds, right? So for a Jew, Jew looked down on Samaritan. And then Jesus even told the woman at the... Uh, the woman in the world told Jesus, you know, why are you talking to me, seeing that you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? The reason for that is because of this very uh, historical fact here that the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans. But the scripture tells us in verse 4, he must needs go through Samaria. It wasn't optional. He had to go through Samaria. And in Bible, that's what the Bible says here, but according to the light of the day, a prophet of God will tell us he had a vision. When he went to a woman, watch him. He went out one day to Samaria. It was needful that he went by there. Say, sure, he had a vision. That's the reason why it was needful. You know, there's something I love about this ministry in the end time, the, the ministry of Brother Branham here, because it's the son of man ministry, is that it gives us a good insight of what the ministry of Jesus Christ was like. Because it's exactly the same ministry. Right? According to Luke chapter 17, verse 30, when the Son of Man will reveal himself again. So by looking at how God dealt with the prophet, how that ministry unfolded, we have a good idea of how Jesus Christ's ministry was. Because they say the Son does nothing but what the Father shows him. So we know without a doubt that the previous night, Jesus was praying, perhaps, and here comes a vision. And he sees a woman by a well. And he sees himself standing by that well too. But there's no disciples around him. He says, this is a strange vision. He says, we need to go to Samaria. The disciples know nothing about this. He sends them away because he's waiting for, as Brian will say in many times, that you have to wait for all the elements of the vision to come to pass, right? He says, if the table, if somebody has to put a hat this way, somebody has to remove the glasses and wipe it, you have to wait for all the elements to come to pass before you can even speak. So Jesus knows that he needs to be at the well by himself. He knows that the woman needs to come so he's there with his disciple. He says, you know what? Go, go into the city and, and, and get us some supplies. Get up some food. Because he needs to be alone by the well. But Brian says that he didn't know what her issue was. God didn't tell him. Right? He only showed him the vision. Go by a well. There is a woman that's going to come. But as a prophet, he begins to talk to her. As we've seen multiple times in the prayer line, Brian says, you know, I'm stalling because I'm waiting for him. He says, I'm talking to you so I can contact your spirit. And then after a dialogue with this woman, he tells her what her issue is, right? But this woman came to the well because that's what women did back in the days. But they did not come in the evening time. They, they, they didn't come during the day. They usually came in the evening time. But because of her life, we know that she had married five times and she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. She was a woman of ill fame. So she had to come by herself. She had to come in the middle of the day when it was hot, because she couldn't be associated with the other ladies. So for this woman, this was not uh, an unusual occurrence. Right? She, is, she had gone to the well. Perhaps the well was a five-mile journey from her house. She had done five miles to the well, five miles back home. She had done it over and over again. She did it on the Monday. She did it on the Tuesday. She did it on the Wednesday. She did it on the Thursday. There is nothing special about going to the well. She had done it over and over again. But that day was a different day. 
that day was a different day. Because for her, what was regular routine was actually, for, from God's perspective, it was a divine appointment. So divine appointments are actually veiled in regular routines. The day that God has appointed for you is not going to feel like a special day. You're not going to wake up that day feeling different. You're not going to have a feeling, man, this day is going to be super special. God is going to do something special for me. No, a day that God has appointed for you is just a regular day. You will wake up tired. Your alarm maybe went off that morning. You stop your alarm. Maybe you hit snooze five times. It's just a regular day. Maybe you got off of bed, you knelt down, you read your Bible and you prayed. You went to the bathroom and brushed your teeth and probably showered. Just a regular day. But little do you know that that's the very day that God has circled in his calendar. This day, what is regular to you is actually a divine appointment. When Abraham was sitting under, under the tree, it was a hot sunny day. You know, Brother Abraham says that the shepherds were fighting. Abraham was, Abraham was just in the mood and he just wanted to calm himself down under the tree. But then three men came. It was a regular day. But the, the, the three men coming to Abraham made that regular day into a special day. See, the difference maker is Christ. When God comes and does something special for you, it changes your day. What was just a regular Wednesday night service becomes a special day. Why? Because when God comes to you, it's an appointed time for you. It just felt like a regular day going to the well. You know, she was like, one more day to the well by myself. One more day being mocked. One more day by myself in the hot sun. This is the life that I live. There's nothing I can do about it. But little does she know that that was a different day. So maybe you came to church tonight because it's a regular Wednesday night. It's not a special meeting. It's Wednesday. That's why we do on a Wednesday night. We come to church. Perhaps it's a Sunday morning. You come to church. That's what we do. And it's a regular routine. We go to church. But when your regular day coincides with God's divine appointment, watch the supernatural take place. Scripture tells us in Habakkuk chapter 2, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. Brother Murphy, that's your scripture. Brother Louis, Sister Grace. But at the end he shall speak and not lie. Though he tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Well, now that's a strange language. Though it tarry, it will not tarry. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come to pass, it will not tarry. Though it tarry, it will not tarry. Well, what does the scripture tell us here? Well, the first tarry here is moha, which means to linger. And the second tarry here is akar, which means to remain beyond or to procrastinate. God is not a procrastinator. Says, though it's taking time, I won't procrastinate. Though this vision seems like it's taking time, it will not linger. Though it tarry, it will not tarry. Though according to your calendar, it may seem like this vision is taking too long to come to pass. But say, according to my calendar, I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm not going to be behind. I'm right on schedule. Though the vision tarry, it will not tarry. See, when God's calendar sinks... With your calendar. <laughs> when God's supernatural calendar syncs with your calendar, the vision will not tarry. Amen. So what was a regular day 
turned out to be a divine appointment. So sometimes we may feel like we prayed and prayed and prayed. Lord, I pray for my wayward children. And I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed. Why are you lingering? Why are you tearing? Why are you delaying? The actual the other word says without delay. God is not going to delay. When the appointed time comes for God to move on the scene, he won't be one minute behind. He won't be five seconds behind. He's going to be right on schedule. When this woman came to the well, Jesus was already waiting. Jesus didn't come as she came. Jesus didn't come ten minutes after her. He didn't come two minutes after her. He was right there on time. It may seem like he's four days late, but he's still on time. Though the vision may feel like it tarries, it will not tarry. You may have waited five years, six, seven years for your children. Though the vision seems like it tarries, it will not tarry. Though the vision tarry, it will not tarry. Perhaps you've been praying for your healing EBA. Perhaps you've stood service after service. Praise the Lord, I'm healed. Praise the Lord, I'm healed. It feels like one month, two months, six months. Though the vision tarry, it will not tarry. It shall surely speak. Because when a regular Wednesday night begins, it becomes a divine appointment, those eyes, they come open. There's going to be one day, you're going to say for the last time, praise the Lord, I can see. And that day will be that day that your calendar sticks with God's calendar. Though the vision tarry, it will not tarry. God will not fail his word. Rabbi says he would rather bankrupt heaven before he, he lets his word fail. Let me read this quote for you. When God makes a promise in the Bible, he says, I see a man here in a wheelchair. When God makes a promise, he is guilty of that promise until he brings it to pass. Somebody say amen. amen. God is guilty when he makes a promise. And the scriptures are guilty until they are fulfilled. Oh my goodness. And it's got to be fulfilled or else God is guilty. God doesn't mess around with his promises. When God says something, he is guilty of what he said until it brings it to come to pass. And God is not going to be guilty of anything. He's not going to say that, oh God, I believe this and you failed me. Not a chance. Don't envision Terry. It will not tarry. God will bankrupt heavens before he will let his word go defeated. He never made a promise that he can't keep. He says, I'm the Lord that heals all that disease, and they lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. He will rather bankrupt heaven than let his word fail. Now this woman here, she finds herself at a divine appointment. And she's a woman of ill fame. And usually the Jews, in, in the Jewish culture, a man will not speak to a woman without, his wife, without, his, without her husband being present. And let alone a woman of ill fame. And as a matter of fact, in this story, when the disciples come back and they see Christ talking to this woman, they find it strange. But Jesus puts his reputation here on the line. He, he's not scared of what people will say if they see him with her. He's not worried about what his reputation is going to be because they saw him with a woman of ill fame. Brabham says this, he says, no, Jesus' reputation is made where sinners are. That's where he makes his reputation, where sinners are. 
where those pious Pharisees thought that their reputation would be ruined by being associated with such people, Jesus knew that his reputation would be made by being associated with such people. See, it was the blind being healed that made his reputation. It was the woman caught in adultery that made his reputation. Where he could say, thy sins are forgiven thee. Who is this man who can forgive sins? That's what made his reputation when he was among sinners. Sinners coming to him never ruin his reputation. He says it makes his reputation. He says we need more of those sinners that will come and make his reputation. Or perhaps you're a sinner friend tonight and you're worried about your reputation. And you say, I'm not worthy to come to him. I don't want to ruin his reputation or I feel like I'm going to ruin the church's reputation. No, Jesus' reputation is made when he deals with sinners. What are people going to say is going to ruin the reputation? You are actually going to make his reputation because we are going to rejoice knowing that God could take a sinner and wash him clean. That's when Christ makes his reputation. Now, the Samaritans, they only had what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't have the text of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all those things. They lacked a lot of those scriptures. They didn't believe they were even inspired. So that's the reason why there's such a divide when it comes to where do you worship. Some say in Jerusalem, but they worship in Margarism because they believe that that's when the patriarchs offer sacrifice. And according to their Bible, to their version of the Pentateuch, that's where God required worship was in Margarism. So they had their own scriptures. So this woman here, even though she went to church, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps all that she ever read was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Perhaps she'd never read what Jeremiah said. Perhaps she never heard what Ezekiel said about the Messiah. Perhaps she didn't know much of the scripture. The Pharisees had all the scrolls. All the scrolls. But they called him Beelzebub. But this woman, this woman, with the little scripture she had, with the little promises that she had in the Bible, one time, when she saw the Messiah, one time, that was enough for her. Brian says, I hope the spiritual mind can catch it. I'm sure you do. Anyhow, it says you can't visit every nation. You can send tips to it. But God will have some way to catch that mind out there where the seed is sowed. It's going to take its life like the little woman at the well. She caught it. Don't worry. And I believe we have to work and endeavor for translation. I 100% believe that and we support that. But even if there's only one message translated... Perhaps in the Yoruba language for the same. Perhaps just one message. That's all it's going to take for the predestinated. See, if there's only one, God will mention that message. When it comes across the predestinated seed, she is going to see it. Just like that little woman at the well. You know, North America might have all the 1,100 tips in their language. But let it fall into the laps of somebody somewhere else where there's only five message books or perhaps even just one message book. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be serpent seed or the deity of Christ or it could be spoken words, original seed, whatever message it is. When it comes into the laps of a predestinated seed, that's all it takes. When the light flashes on that seed, they see it. Now, Jesus starts the dialogue with this woman to contact her spirit. And as we were talking, he says, you know, if you knew the gift, 
if he knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me of that water. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Are that greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself as his children and his cattle? But little did she know that this man who's standing by the well was greater than Abraham. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore, he was greater than Jacob. He was greater than Jeremiah. He was greater than Isaiah. He was greater than all the prophets. Because he was not just a prophet. As Brabham says, he says he was the prophet, the God prophet, the prophet of prophets, the God of all the prophets, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Oh, I love this quote. He was not just a prophet. He was the God prophet. He was the prophet of prophets. He was the God of all the prophets. He was the Godhead bodily. This man at the well was greater than Jacob. This man at the well was greater than Abraham. This man at the well was God himself in flesh. This is the difference. The man at the well. And that's my title tonight. The man at the well. Now, he says, if you knew the gift of God, she said, she heard somebody say, woman, bring me a drink. He says, now remember, this is Melchizedek. <laughs> Glory. Brethren says, this is Melchizedek. If you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew that you're standing in the presence of Melchizedek. She said, my father Jacob gave us this well. So if you only knew that I am Melchizedek and I was with your great, 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 great grandfather Abraham and I gave him, he paid me tithes, right? And I gave him bread and wine. If you only knew that the man who was standing by that well was Melchizedek, who was with her forefather Abraham, that the same Melchizedek who gave Abraham bread and, 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 and wine was here to give her something. Something special. If you only knew the gift of God. Sometimes I wonder if you only know the gift of God. Jesus said to his disciples, what did you go and see in the wilderness? Right? The gift they only knew that John was greater than all those who were born of a woman. That he was greater than all the prophets of the Old Testament. Why? Right? Because he was the one who announced the first coming or who forerunned the first coming. That's what made him greater than all of them. So if you only knew the gift of God. But behold... A greater than John is here. That's, that, that expression, greater than, actually happens four times in the Bible, in the New Testament. I find it interesting. The Pharisees asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? He says, before Abraham was, I am. Right? And then here this woman asked, are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, he was greater than Jacob since he's greater than Abraham. But they also asked him, he, he says, when it, when, then Jesus talks about the sign of the Messiah. He pulls the type of Jonah in the Old Testament. It says that Jonah spent three days in the belly of the well, right? It says, so shall the son of man spend three days. And it says, but behold, a greater than Jonah is here, right? And then he talks about John and says, but behold, a greater than John is here. I love that. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than John. He's greater than Jonah. He's greater than Ezekiel. He's greater than Daniel. He's greater than all of them because he's the God prophet. He's the God of all the prophets. He's the prophet of prophets. This man at the well. What did you come to see on a Wednesday night? A man? A six foot tall guy from, from Congo? What did you come and see on a Sunday? Brother Tom? Brother Tim? Brother Murphy? What did you come and see? A song leader? What did you come and see? It's a man that's greater than John. 
That's greater than Jacob. That's greater than me. That's greater than this minister. It's the man at the well. If you only knew the gift of God. If you only knew when you come on a Wednesday night. It's a divine encounter with God. That you're not coming to hear from a man. But you're coming to hear from the man at the well. You're coming to hear not from a prophet when you play that tape. But you're hearing from the God of the prophets. From the prophet of prophets. If you only knew the gift of God. And you ask, give me that water. Now he tells this woman. Uh, this woman, he says, whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Verse 13. Now the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 1. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is food. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. I love the scripture. It says come and buy. But it says without money. Without price. Come and buy. But without money. And with that price. And he's asking the question, why are you spending your money on things that don't satisfy? Right? Whosoever drink of this water will thirst again. Why your labor? 12, walking at 12 o'clock in, in, when the sun is really hot, going to the well to pour, take some water, and repeat the next day, and the next day, always and always, always thirsty. He says, why do you expend all, all that energy? Why are you spending all that money for things that don't satisfy? A predestinated seed of God can only be satisfied by one thing, Christ. So you may spend all your time having fun in the world. You may spend all your money pursuing the things of this world. You may expand all your energy and your youth to have fun, but you're never satisfied. Because you know what? When you go to bed at night, every now and then, the Holy Ghost tugs in your heart. And you know that you're actually not happy. You can be smiling and saying, I'm having fun, I'm young. Let me have fun. But what kind of fun is that? Because when you're alone with God, you know you cannot face the music when you're alone with God. When God puts the mirror in front of you, you're afraid to look. Because you know, you know where you're supposed to be. So why spend all your energy on those things that won't satisfy you? He says, come and buy of me without money and without price. And that's interesting. Without money and that price. Now this word buy, the first time it's used in the Bible, well, one of the first accounts of this word is when Jacob sends his children to go buy grain in Egypt. Right? Because there was a famine. Now in Genesis 43, and they go down and buy grain. And then Joseph pretends, says, you're spies. Right? You know the story. And he says, go back to your father, but I will keep your brother Simeon. As collateral, right? And then he returns them their money. So when they come to buy and they give Joseph money, he gives them back the money, but he keeps Simeon. So in other words, the price, the price of the grain was paid by the brother. He used Simeon's life. Simeon was kept as the price for the grain. So they go back. And then they told, they told Jacob, we need to go back with Benjamin. And he says, okay, now go and buy the grain. Because the now the famine, the Bible says the famine was so sore. So now they go the second time and they buy more grain. Now what does Joseph do? He puts the money back in their bags. 
and he puts his cup in Benjamin's back. And then he says, you're free to go, but I'm keeping Benjamin. So for the first time, when they wanted to buy grain, the price was paid by keeping Simeon. For the second time, he gave them back the money, and the price was paid by Benjamin. See, the price, the purchase of the grain was done by the life of the brother. Do you get what I'm saying tonight? Come and buy without money, without price. means God doesn't need your money. The price has been paid by one of your elder brothers. Jesus Christ, the firstborn of many brothers. So God kept his life. God took Christ, his life, as a purchasing power that you may have grain. That's why he said, come and buy of me without money, without price. Because somebody, your brother, has paid the price for you. So instead of wasting your time for those things of the world that don't satisfy, why don't you come to the well tonight where there's a man who's paid the price that you may drink freely? Come and buy without price, without money. Now, I'm going to turn the corner soon. Bury me. Now, when Jesus said, but the water that I give, you will never thirst again. The woman said unto him, verse 15, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She saw in Christ, she saw that this is a good opportunity for me to satisfy my own natural desires. She said, well, this is convenient. This is a convenient gospel. If I can have water and never thirst again, my, this is a good deal for me. Right? And so many people come to church. Trying to find something convenient. And they want to have the presence of God in their lives. They want the blessing of God to appease the wrath of God. They want to come on a Wednesday night and sing a few songs. They want to disappear for a few months and come back and sing a few more songs. Because they're trying to find something convenient. Man, this is good. You know what? Having God in your life is, is a good thing. You know, you will never go wrong by having God in your life. But they won't live for Him. They won't surrender to Him. They won't serve Him. But they want Him to be near just in case they need him. And then when they're sick and dying in a hospital bed, oh God, when they're in a car accident, oh God, when they're in trouble, Lord, I promise you, if you help me, they want him to be near, but won't commit. Because they know that having God in your life, you can never go wrong. There's something good about having God in your life. So like, let me do what is necessary so that even though I'm not committed, but he's not too far. Let me satisfy my own desires, convenience. But you know what? If you want to be really satisfied, this water he's talking about, he said, the water that I give will be in you a well. <laughs> Think of it. She came to the well to draw water, but said, but the water that I give is a well. In other words, wherever you go, you will have in you a well. Wherever you go, the water that I give is going to be a well. When you receive the Holy Ghost, God digs a well in your soul. And it becomes in you a fountain of life. Spring up to everlasting life. Whenever you're thirsty, you don't need a preacher to pump you up. From within your belly, throws a well of living waters. What you need tonight is to come to this man at the well. And let him dig into your soul and install a well. Not the well that Jacob dig. Because he is greater than Jacob. Whoever drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But the water that he gives. Brother talks about that spring. It's bubbling. Not because I'm drinking, but there's something in me 
that makes me bubble. That is a believer who's filled with the Holy Ghost. There's something about a believer when it comes to church. There's something in his soul that bubbles. I was glad when they said to me, come to the house of the Lord. There's something about a believer when it's evening time, when it's time to worship, it bubbles up within it. Why so well? It's a well springing unto everlasting life. It's not a convenient gospel that's just near when you need it. It's a well in you that's there. Morning, night, noon. In the good times, the well is there. In the bad times, the well is there. This well is not affected by the weather. Jacob's well, when it's too hot, it gets dry. But this well, winter, summer, spring, this well never runs dry. This well is never going to be affected by the circumstances around you. This world doesn't get affected by world events. This world doesn't get affected by a pandemic when there's no church for two years. This world doesn't get affected by that because it's a well dig by somebody who's greater than Abraham, greater than Jacob, greater than all the prophets, the God of all the prophets. This well is an exhaustible fountain of eternal life. He says, right on says, the only thing you need to do is drink. Come to the fountain and drink. Drink until you're satisfied. You can't exhaust him. No, sir. He is absolutely the inexhaustible fountain. You can drink and drink and drink. You can drink your healing, glory. You can drink your salvation. Just come and drink. Let him that's thirsty come. Come and drink. See, the one who wants Christ near in case they need him. When they need him the most, they're not on speaking terms. You may feel like I'm saved because in case mommy can pray, daddy can pray. But when you need him the most, if you're not on speaking terms, you're going to need somebody who can come and stand between you and God. Who can pray for you. Thank God for godly parents and for friends who have a burden for your souls. Because when you're in need and you can't touch God, they can touch him for you. But if this one is in you, all that you ever need, he's there all the time. You need healing, he's there. You need salvation and deliverance, he's there. When you need peace, you know, this world is going insane. This world is a nervous age. And the peace that you know as a believer, I can guarantee you, nobody else on the face of the earth knows what that peace is. They do not know what that peace is. This one is insane. But to have him, to have that well inside of you, it's peace of mind. You say, Brother John, do you not stress? I do. When pressure gets to me, I do stress. But there is a source that I can run to. I do not know how others make it through, who do not go to Calvary as I do. When things go tough, the Bible says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When I get low, when I don't feel like praying, there's a well inside of me. And I began to lay my back in that well. And I go deep and I began to pull some resources. And the promises of God began to speak to me. I am the Lord thy God. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I began to feel strengthened by the word. Why? There's a well in me. The pressures of this world will get to you. You may think you're tough. Everybody talk about mental health, mental health, mental health. Go see all the psychiatrists you want, all the psychologists you want. You can even have all the money that you want. That won't give you mental health. Because you're losing your mind without Christ. 
Right? Bible says you're not even in your right mind until you're born again. What kind of mental health do you have? But the peace. So behold, I give you my peace. Not like the world gives. My peace. The world will give you peace because you have a good job and you can pay all your bills. And then a recession comes and your job is not enough. Where is the peace? Right? You may go ahead and take a pill because you have a headache and you feel better. And then comes the sickness and the doctors cannot heal. Where is your peace? Come and buy it tonight without money, without price. Now, the woman on the wall says, he says, go get your husband. Now, I love this. He's giving her a chance to tell the truth. Right? She could have lied. We said, go get your husband. It's like, yeah, let me go get him. But the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. And now she's confronted with the word, and she needs to admit who she is. I do not have one. Truth. No more makeup, no more lying, no more pretending. Confront it before the word. Be honest. Truth. I'm lying. I'm, the one that I'm living with is not my husband. I don't have a husband. He says, you've told the truth. For you've had five, and the one that you're living with, the sixth man, is not your husband. But here she is talking to the seventh man. Now, he says, and she said, I perceive. Sir, I perceive. You're a prophet. My. Brian says, she said, I don't have a husband. Why? He said, you told the truth. Because you've had five, and the one that you have now is not your husband. See? Something happened. Something took life. Now, he says, if it hadn't been there in the, to begin with, if she didn't have a representation from predestination, it would never take hold. In that little woman at the well, there was a representation from predestination. In other words, there was a theophany somewhere. <laughs> because she had a theophany and she was speaking to King Melchizedek, who is King Theophany. This might have been the first time they met on earth, but I guarantee you, these two met before. It might have been the first time they met on earth, but before time began, when the sons of God were shouting for joy, this woman had a representation. Her theophany was with King Melchizedek. Her theophany was with the king of theophanies. And because she knew him then, she could know him now. The reason why you come to the message of the hour, you have a representation. There is a predestinated seed in you, and your theophany was with God before time began. When God was slaying the lamb before the foundation of the world, you were there. And brother says, and he told you what he was going to do, and he unveiled the redemption plan. You were a part of that plan, and you knew what day you were going to come on the earth. Not Ephesian Church Age, not Smyrna. You knew that your time was going to be Laodicea, and when this evening light was going to come by your way, because you were with him from the beginning. John said, "I written to you, young man, because you've known him." From the beginning. You've known him, not now. Not in 1963. Not in 65. Not in 2023. You knew him from the beginning. Like this little woman, there was a representation by predestination. And Brother says she was more versed in the scriptures than all the Pharisees. Even though they had more scrolls than she did. 
There's something about a predestinated seed. When that light comes by the way, they see it. They see it. She had a representation, her theophany was with Melchizedek. She had fed on this word before. <laughs> they might have met on the first time on earth, but it wasn't the first time. Hallelujah. Now, after he says, I perceive you, she says, I perceive you're a prophet, and this is something that's so special to me. She said, the subject goes straight to worship. They didn't talk about worship before. They started talking about worship as soon as she recognizes this man is a prophet. To me, there is something in this lady that always wanted to know, how do I worship? Some say Mount Gerizim, South Sea, Jerusalem. The moment she found a prophet, her deep was calling, how do I worship? You didn't know how to worship until this message came by your way. Some of you worship in titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Some of you baptize in titles. Some of you, didn't, some of you pray angels. Some pray to Mary. You didn't know how to worship. But then this message came by your way. And it showed you how to worship. It says the hour come and now is. Where it's no longer on Mount Gerizim. It's longer in Jerusalem. But it's in spirit and in truth. That's why God sent a prophet to restore the truth. So that you'll be able to worship right. Like this woman. Now. Abraham says, look at the woman at the well. She come up to Jacob's cistern, and she'd be getting water there all the time at Jacob's cistern. But Jacob's cistern is a denomination, we will call it, because he dug it three times. He, got, he dug three walls. And now this is a great story. She said, our father dug this well. He drank of it, and his cattle drank of it, and everything. Is that good enough? He says, but the water that you draw from there, you'll thirst again. The water that I gave you is a fountain. It guides the spirit unto up from the inside. But once she discovered that a scriptural fountain had spoken to her by a scriptural sign, glory, the son of the Messiah. Once she saw the Messiah perform the sign that only the Messiah can do, he says, she left, he says, that was the sign that she was looking for. She left that Jacob's denominational system and never went back there to it again because she had found the real rock. And she had found that there's a better place to drink. She dropped her water pot because there was a better place to drink. And I began to ponder on this song. I said, she had been walking the same old road for miles and miles. She had been hearing the same old voice tell her the same old lies. And she was trying to fill the same old hole inside. First husband, second husband, third husband, fourth husband. Five husband, I'm done with getting married. Let me just live with this man. Six men, but there is a better life. There was a better life. And she had searched for the light of day in the dead of night. She had found herself worn out from the same old fight. But she went to think she knew we're not right. But there was a better life. There was a better life for this woman. If you're getting tired of your life, let me tell you, there's a better life tonight. There's a better life if you're worn out from doing things on your own, relying on your own strength. There's a better life. If you're tired of not having peace, there's a better life. But if you keep going back to Jacob as well, then you haven't found that better life yet. 
if you're still thirsty for something else, you haven't found that life yet. Because somebody who is filled with the Holy Ghost, who has the well inside of him, will never go back to those broken cisterns. Those things of the world are gone, gone, gone. If there's something in you that still desires those worldly things, there's a better life. For this woman to get well, she had to come to the well. I'll say it again. To get well, come to the well. Now, that was part one. We have about 20 minutes left here. Now, this, uh, this encounter here at the well is a special encounter in the Bible. We're talking about the man at the well. I know John chapter 4, we talk about the woman at the well, but I'm not talking about her, I'm talking about him. I'm talking about that man, the man at the well. Now, we see in the Bible, a man meets a woman at the well multiple times. Brother Ram says, all the Old Testament types pointed to Christ and his church. You believe Adam and Eve pointed to Christ and the church. You believe Jehovah and his wife pointed to Christ and the church. There were types and entities. It has to be like that. Now he says in Israel and the church, we notice that Christ was in Abraham. Christ was in Isaac. Christ was in Jacob. Christ was in Joseph. Christ was in Moses. So if Christ was in Abraham, that means you are Sarah. If Christ was in Isaac, that makes you Rebecca. If Christ was Jacob, you are Rachel. Because all the Old Testament types point to Christ and the church. And now you say, why is that relevant, John? Well, in Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the land of the people of the east. And he looked and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep trying, uh, lying by it. For out at that well, they watered the flocks. And had, there's a great stone was upon the well's mouth. My. Jacob comes to a far land. Like Jesus comes to a land of Samaria. Jesus comes and sits by a well at noon. Jacob comes by a well at noon. Now there's three flocks. Not five, not six, not seven. There's three flocks. And the Bible is careful to tell us there's a great stone upon the well's mouth. So they couldn't draw water from the well because there was a stone sealing the well. There was a seal on the well. Okay? Now, Jacob said, and he said unto them, is he well? And they said, oh, let me just skip this for the sake of time. He said, lo, it is yet high day, noon. Is, is it... Is it time for the cattle should be gathered together, water the sheep, and go and feed them? And they say, no, we cannot until all the flocks be gathered together. And then we will roll the stone away. So there's three flocks. And they're saying, we cannot draw from this well because we're not complete. We're waiting for another shepherd to come. And when we are all gathered, then we can remove the stone. And the Bible says, verse 9, and while they yet spake with them, Rachel came with the father's sheep. And it came to pass, when Rachel came, now there are four, 
three flocks, Rachel comes, now there are four. It came to pass that when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went near and rolled a stone from the well's mouth and then watered the flock. They could not drink water from that well until Rebecca, until Rachel came because they're not complete. There was three flocks and the seal was not broken yet because they're not complete. They waited and gathered, waiting to be complete. And when they were complete, when they were no longer three, but there were four, Jacob removed the seal and then gave them water. And when, the Bible brethren will talk about it, it says, and Luther made way for justification, made for sanctification. Sanctification made way for the baptism of the Holy Ghost, three. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost made way for the word itself, three messengers. When there were three messengers, it wasn't enough to open the seal. But when the fourth one came, when they're not complete, Jacob, who is Christ, removes the seal from the well and gives them water. And the story doesn't end here. He marries this girl. When the man meets this woman at the well, he marries her. Now, when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan, she's talking about, you've had five husbands, but the one that you're living with is not your six servant. What are they talking about? Marriage. It seems like when a man meets a woman by the well, it's uniting time. It's marriage time. Now, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. My. So Jesus goes to Samaria, sits by a well. Jacob comes to the land of Nahor, sits by a well. Moses flees Egypt, comes, sits by a well. What is about to take place at the well? Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters. Seven daughters. And they came to draw water. And the shepherds came and drove them away. See, these shepherds were trying to prevent them from drinking water. These shepherds, during those seven church ages, these denominational shepherds tried to prevent the church from drinking from the well. With the dogmas, with the creeds, they're trying to prevent them from drinking. But the Bible says, and then Moses stood up and helped them, and he watered their flock. Now, this story, what happens? He ends up marrying one of his girls. When a man meets a woman by the well, he marries her. Jacob meets Rachel, marries her. Moses meets the Porah at the well, marries her. Now, that's interesting. It happens the same way in the entire Bible. The future bridegroom goes to a far land, and there he meets a woman by the well. Then there's a conversation. Either he draws water for them, like we saw Jacob give water to Rachel, Moses give water to Zipporah, or she's the one who gives him water. And then after that, a marriage takes place. Now for you, message believers, versed in the scriptures, you're thinking about another encounter by the well, aren't you? There's another encounter by the well. Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. Eliezer. There we go. There's another encounter at the well. Now, this encounter, I'm closing now, is very particular. It's different than all the other three encounters at the well. Because Jesus comes to the well at noon. Jacob comes to the well at noon. When Moses gets to the well, the Bible says, uh, Ruel, which is the father, tells them, why did you come back so soon? It was still noon. It was still early in the day. 
But Rebecca comes to the well at evening time. This is a different type of an encounter. It's not in the morning. It's not at noon like Jesus with the Samaritan. It's not at noon like Jacob and Rachel. It's not during the day like Moses. It's at evening time. Now this encounter is the only encounter. What is the third person involved? Jacob meets Rachel, marries her. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman. She becomes part of the right. Moses meets the Pura, marries her. But Eliezer meets Rebecca. He doesn't marry her. Because now in this story, a third party is interjected in this story. This is the only time, because it's what? Evening time. At evening time, Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't go by himself. Jacob doesn't go by himself. Moses doesn't go by himself. Isaac doesn't go by himself. At evening time, he sends a messenger. A messenger at evening time. Brother one says in Genesis chapter. Brother one says, and he made his. Uh, the Bible says Genesis twenty four verse eleven, and he made his camels kneel down, without the city by a well of water, at the time of the evening. And brother one says, and it was in the evening time, when he came to the well near that city, that Rebecca came and made a decision. He says, I believe the angel of the Lord beat him there about half an hour, for he will send his angels before you and makes the way clear. Now, because of the prophet telling me this. I can say for certainty, it was the angel of the Lord who told Rachel, go to the well. It was the angel of the Lord who tells Zipporah, go to the well. It was the angel of the Lord who told the Samaritan woman, go to the well. She didn't even know it. All these ladies perhaps didn't even know it. But the angel of the Lord went before them. You came here on a Wednesday night of your own accord? No. It's the angel of the Lord who told you, get to the well. Get to church and I say, Angel, the Lord told you to get to the church. But it's evening time. Now, Brother continues and says, It's the angel of the Lord that spoke to Rebecca's heart. Go get the water. And Rebecca came to the water of life at evening time. Now, he says, You get the picture? It's the church in the last days, the evening time. The evening less a year. It's time that the angel of the Lord in a supernatural is revealing himself to Rebecca. The bride of Isaac. And somehow she's moved to go to the waters of life. Oh, my heart is turning over with joy. I can hardly preach when I think of that. The evening time has come. The angel of the Lord is in the message. He goes forth and woos Rebecca to come to the waters of life. What have you heard in these last days? The angel of the Lord wooing you. Say, get to the well. Get to the well. Now, Brother Bonham is painting quite an interesting picture here because he's talking about evening time, evening light, angel of the Lord, Eliezer, Rebecca. Sounds to me like Revelation 10. Sounds to me like Revelation 10. In the evening time, in the time of the voice of the seventh angel, Eliezer, time shall be no more. And there's a mighty angel, Revelation 10.1, right, who is, has a book. For who? For Rebecca, for John, the type of the church. So it's not literal water we're talking about here. It's the word. Symbolized here in Revelation 10 by a book. And Brother Number says, Eliezer started praying. Oh Lord, let something supernatural take place. 
You sent your angel before me. Now let him do something for me. I know he's gone before me. Let the young woman that comes and gives me a drink out of the pitcher and also will water my camels without asking. And he would, no more that he had said that, Rebecca came. He says, God is right on the dot. No more that he had prayed that, Rebecca came. And she came and she knew what he wanted done with the word. He didn't even have to speak it. She knew exactly what he wanted done with the word. Now, why did Rebecca make that sudden move? Why did she go to the waters of life so quickly? Why did the angel of the Lord speak to her? Because she was blood relation to Isaac. Glory. And that's who the angel of the Lord can speak to tonight is blood relation. Because you and Isaac are related by blood. His blood is in you. You are part of the same family. That's why you could hear the angel of the Lord speak to you. Because Abraham told Eliezer, don't go anywhere else. Don't go and fetch me a Canaanite by going in my own family. He's looking for a blood relative. And he says, there's something in the message that stirs us. Glory. That's what stirred Rebecca. The message stirred her. The angel was leading her. He began to take out the earrings, which means faith come by hearing, and put the bracelets on the works of your hand. And he got her ready as soon as she began to water. And the water, we know the story, and the water that she gave the camel, those powers that she watered is what took her to Isaac. Now, this woman doesn't marry Eliezer. She marries Isaac. But Eliezer is sent from Abraham because Jacob had gone by himself. Moses had gone by himself. Jesus had gone by himself, but Abraham said, do not take my son there. Jesus would have come by himself to look for, for himself a bride, but he sends Eliezer. In other words, Eliezer comes with the ministry of Isaac. See, the son of man ministry, Luke 17, 30, what we saw in Jesus Christ is the same ministry that returned in this end time. I'm trying to show you that the Bible is talking about you. That every type and shadow is talking about Christ and the bride. Every man and woman encountered at the well is talking about you and Christ. And in this end time, you receive a man called Eliezer, but he's not your husband. Those who are obsessed with William Branham, he's not your, he's not your husband. Those who worship and baptize in his name, he's not your husband. Rebecca never married Eliezer, but Eliezer was sent in the stead of Isaac, where Isaac would have gone by himself. But because Christ cannot set foot on the earth until his purge, he couldn't come by himself, sends a messenger. Now, I love it how many times in the prayer line, Brian I will say, now here's a perfect picture of a man and a woman at the well. Here's a picture again. A colored woman and a white man. He's a real picture of the Samaritan case. A man and a woman, two different races, a Jew and a Samaritan. I want to ask you something. This woman, before God, I've never met her before, and we're perfect. We're now in the perfect picture of the Bible. I love this quote. We stand at the perfect picture of the Bible. Before this message came by your way, this was stories. Stories. Rebecca met Eliezer at the well. Jacob met Rachel at the well. It was stories and stories and stories. But when the evening light comes and shines upon this word, 
like Brad Bunham saw in a vision, a place on the rock that the light has never shone on before. When the light began to shine on this word, what does it show us? A perfect picture of the Bible. The message of the hour puts you back in the Bible. Let me rephrase it this way. The message of the hour brings the Bible days to you. It's no longer a history. It brings the word to you, makes it alive. It's not a story. You are standing in this evening time. You stood by the well and you met a man at the well. It's a perfect picture of the Bible. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You believe with all your heart? Says, I see the lady, she's suffering with arthritis, and she's got stomach trouble. And I see her going in the hospital, coming out of the hospital, to go back in the hospital, come out three times. You've been in the hospital three times. That's that saved the spirit. My. Now, Jesus, as you say, he was greater than Jacob. In fact, we read he was greater than all the prophets. He was the prophet of the prophets. Now, all the prophets had one thing in common. When they all spoke, they said, that saved the Lord. That saved the Lord. But Jesus, he never said, that saved the Lord. He said, verily, verily, I say unto thee. Because he's more than the prophet. He's the prophet of prophets. He's greater than all the prophets. He doesn't need to say, that saved the Lord. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you. Because he is the one all those prophets spoke on behalf of. And not nobody speaking on his behalf. He's speaking himself. When you're listening to those tapes, you're not hearing from a man. You're hearing from God speaking to you directly. It's the son of man himself who's come by a well. Evening time. He says, you had a tumor once and blindness in your eye. You are healed. You believe that the spirit of the living God is here? You are a believer. Certainly you're healed. And you live at 217 Chela Street. That's exactly right. What is this? A man at the well with a woman. Perfect picture of the Bible. A man with a woman at the well telling her, just like Jesus did. What is he showing us? Bible days are here again. Now, he says, now lady, we're strangers, I'm closing. I do not know you, God knows that I don't know you. The Bible is laying before me. If you're up here for some good, I pray that you get it. I pray that God will reveal it and make it known unto you something to help you. He will call that to you also. He is God, see? And we're just a man and a woman, but you're up here to be prayful for a heart condition. Is that right? A very bad heart condition. I'll tell you what the trouble is. The valves of your heart is closing up. Is that right? You haven't got much longer to live unless God has mercy. It says, the same Jesus Christ that talked to the woman at the well and know her trouble, and know what was causing her trouble, the main thing you need tonight is Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You're a sinner, that's right. You've done wrong and never accepted Christ. Will you now accept him as your personal Savior? You do accept him now as your Savior, and you ask him to have mercy, and if he let you live from this heart condition, which the doctor say, which I can see the doctor shaking his head, there's no chance for you. But if God will let you live, will you promise to serve him? I'm reading this for a point. Now he prays, Almighty God, your spirit that was in the Samaritan well that day, that was upon your beloved son, Christ Jesus, has returned to the earth to be the same yesterday, today, and forever, to confirm and to make the words true. 
Here is a woman standing here, Lord, who's asking mercy and pardon for a sinful life. And she now surrenders her life to you. And we're taught that all things work together for good to them that love you. And she's dying, Lord, with this heart condition. I pray that you heal her. And may your spirit come upon her and forgive her sin. And may she go away from here tonight and get well. And serve you all the days of her life. In Jesus' name, I ask this blessing. Amen. He says, you're a Christian now. You're a Christian now. Here's a woman who says, you've done wrong. You're a sinner. Will you accept him? Yes. Let's pray. Amen. You're a Christian now. Now go and sin no more, and then you will get well. He says, see, you're a sinner now, and now you're a Christian. My, in such a short time, what changed? Well, she came to the well. She met a man at the well. And that's it. That's all it took for her sins to be washed away and her souls to be quickened. Now, I'm saying this because I've had enough of people making the Holy Ghost complicated. Like, we make the Holy Ghost such a different thing to have. It's like, I prayed, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I never get the Holy Ghost. And camp after camp, I never get the Holy Ghost. And I come to the altar, I never get the Holy Ghost. See, he goes on and says, you feel better, don't you? Little lady, the one that you just prayed for. He says, the lady sat down. She's just been saved. God's with her now. A light is whirling all around her. He says, now go home, lady, that she just got saved. Lay your hand on the lady over there. Right. She came to the well, and she received water. And that water was in her a well. And because she received water, she could give water. It only took a moment. All she had to do, she says, yes, I accept it. Now, why do we make things so complicated that we have to fast for five days, that we have to go to multiple prayer lines? If you want the Holy Ghost, all you need to do is say, yes, I accept it. Brother Adam says that he told the woman at the well what was wrong with her because that was the one thing that hindered her from drinking that water. Now, he says, and I'll read the quote for you if I can find it here, but he says, if you've done something wrong, he says, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. If there's something you've done wrong that hinders you, right? He says, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. And he says, and when he does, make it right. But then he said, but if he doesn't reveal to you anything, now listen, if he doesn't reveal to you anything, he says, you tell the devil, get out of my way. Amen. If you pray, you say, Lord, I want to be healed. Is there anything in my life that's hindering my healing? Byron says, turn every stone. Right? You say, Lord, reveal it to me. You're turning every single stone. Because if there's something wrong, you better make it right. But it says, if you've prayed and he doesn't reveal to you anything, that means there's nothing hindering you. You tell that devil, get out of my way. And I want to tell you, if you pray, Lord, what have I done wrong? And you pray and pray, and God has not revealed to you that you've done anything wrong. I say tonight, you turn to the devil and say, get out of my way. Because that means there's nothing that hinders you between you and God. And the devil is only lying to you. That's what Brother Adam says. It's the devil lying to you and telling you that you're not going to get the Holy Ghost. He says, when God intends for you to receive it. God wants to give you the Holy Ghost more he says, more than you want to receive it. We think that God plays games. You know, God, God doesn't speak any idle word. 
When he came to Cain, and, and the devil will come to and lie to people and say, you know, God has rejected you. You know, don't pray, as we're saying. God will not reject your prayer. But the devil will come and tell you, don't pray. You've seen too much. You know, you've, you're a serpent seed. You know, God will never, hear me now, young people, God will never, ever, ever come and tell you you're a serpent seed. Never. You know, for you to know that you're a serpent seed is what God did to Cain. He came to him and said, this is what I want you to do. And Cain proved by himself that he wasn't seed. God never came and said, Cain, you serpent seed. No, God will never come tell you you're serpent seed. So if you're hearing that voice telling you you're probably serpent seed, on God's authority, I can tell you that's the devil speaking to you. You are not serpent seed. Not a chance. And then God, God tells Cain, if you do like your brother, you'll be accepted. Is he lying? Is he bluffing? Do you think that if Cain said, Lord, forgive me, God would be like, oh, I didn't expect this. Now what am I going to do? He wasn't, he wasn't bluffing. God means what he says. So if God offered eternal life, right? He offered acceptance to Cain, who's serpent seed. How much more to a son and a daughter? It's his desire for you to receive the Holy Ghost more than you desire it. In, in, in reality, Jesus was more thirsty than this woman at the well. It was his thirst that drove him to the well. Because God is thirsty for you. And that's why he puts his thirst in you. And he makes you thirst for him. But it was never the woman thirsting for him. Jacob got to the well before Rachel. Moses got to the well before Zipporah. Jesus got to the well before this woman. He always gets there before you and he's waiting, waiting, and waiting. He's been there all the time. Waiting patiently. He's always waiting for you because he desires to give you the Holy Ghost more than you desire to receive it. And I'm tired of the devil telling people that the Holy Ghost is not for them. And I'm tired of him making it so difficult when it's as simple as saying, Lord, I receive. Let whosoever is thirsty come. If you're thirsty, there's a man at the well who can give you water. It's as simple as saying, Lord, give me of that water. See, when Jesus was done with this woman, she dropped the water pot because she received water. Not from a natural well, but from a spiritual well. And that's all it takes. He says, Lord, give me of that well. How many tonight will stand as a musician and come and say, Lord, give me of that well. You have come to the well tonight. And there is a man at the well who's removing the stone from the water, from the mouth of the well, to give you water. He came because of a vision. He came because it was a predestinated appointed appointment for you. What may look like a regular Wednesday night service, it was a divine appointment for somebody to receive water from the well. And I've shown you through scripture that when a man meets a woman by the well, it's uniting time. You need to get united with Christ Jesus because he's coming this evening light with a message by your way that he may marry you and that the government shall be on his shoulder. Brian says in the church age book, he said, what is the government on his shoulder? He said, it means he takes the responsibility of the bride and then no other man has authority over her. No other man has authority over you. The devil has no authority over you. Jesus Christ takes responsibility because he is your husband. If you can only marry him, the government shall be upon his shoulder. All your cares are upon him. I love how Jesus tells this woman that the hour come. And now is 
I was fellowship with some brothers yesterday, and I told them, there comes a time where prophecies become history. Because every prophecy has an expiration date. It's prophecy until it's fulfilled. Once it's fulfilled, it's no longer prophecy. It's history. There has to come a time. That's why Jesus says, the hour comes. Prophecy. But now is. Now is. There has to come a time where we can say, now is. We cannot keep talking about these quotes and these prophecies and these quotes about what the bride will be. We have to say the hour comes. And now is. There's coming a time where this third pool will move in this bride. Now is. There comes a time where limbs will come into existence. Now is. There comes a time where your children are going to be restored. Now is. There comes a time where EBS eyes will come open. Now is. The hour comes and now is. Stopping those questions tomorrow. Stop waiting for God to do something tomorrow. It's time to live what the prophets say we ought to be. Invisible army, now is. Now is. No demon has authority over you. No demon has authority over us. We are the bride. He is our head. The devil is not my head. I will not be subject to the life of a devil. Why believe in a lie? Come to the well tonight and drink freely without money. With that price. I want to sing only you, Lord. Only you. You're the fountain I run to.
In his presence, there is healing for body, soul, and mind. Hallelujah. Once you drink of this water, never, never thirst again. Why expend all your energy and your money for things that cannot satisfy you? Jesus says, come and drink freely tonight without money, without price. There's another song I like to sing. Sorry for keeping you a little bit longer, but I can't get, can't get away from this song. There is a river that flows from deep. Come to this water. There is a fountain. No, there's a river. No, that one. River. Yes, that's the one. Flows from the So oh. 
Hallelujah. With our heads bowed down, I wonder if there's somebody tonight that hasn't tasted of these waters yet, that perhaps wants to lift up his hand or her hand and say, Lord, sir, give me all this water. Give me all this water that will be a well springing unto everlasting life. I'm tired of my life. I'm tired of this world. I'm tired of going by, doing things my own way. But I want a drink from this fountain. I want to come to the well and meet that man at the well. And I'm going to offer prayer for you tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is as far as a man can go. We can preach, we can read the scriptures as you inspired us to do so. But Lord, I love how the dealings of God is so private that a man can't do it. Lord, you've reserved a soul for yourself, Lord. A man can affect somebody's emotion, but we cannot touch somebody's soul. That's the part that's so sacred. You say, no man shall touch your soul but me. So now I pray, oh God, that you will go into the souls of those who thirst for you tonight. And Lord, that you will open in their soul a fountain in the house of David. That these waters that we spoke of, Lord, will be in them a well, Lord, unto everlasting life, Lord. You are the portion that satisfies fully. The things of this world do not satisfy their vanity, Lord. Retire of them, Father. I was once there, Lord, where we pursued the world and we got tired of it, Lord. And we came to thy feet. We came to a well. And a man at the well gave us water. And we never thirst again. And Lord, you are the only satisfaction portion that we have, Lord. And your word satisfies us tonight, Lord. If there's somebody tonight who doesn't know you that way, I pray that this regular, ordinary service will be for them a divine appointment, Lord. That we don't have to wait for another day, another service, another camp, Lord. But tonight, tonight, the hour coming now is. Tonight can be the night where everything changes, Lord. Granted, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Bless your people. Go home with us now, we pray. Until we meet again. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another. You all dismissed.